Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. Cancer is the leading cause of death by disease in children. Every year, more than 40,000 undergo cancer treatment. And when we got to the two doors in front of the operating room, that I could no longer go with her. I said, they're not going to hurt you. She took a deep breath, looked at all the people around her and said, let's go. That was better. I miss Bella the most when it's quiet, when I don't hear her laugh, when I don't hear the girls running around and playing. You know, so often in life we, we look at things and we have our own interests, <clears throat> we have our own busy schedules. And all of a sudden, you know, one little girl gravely ill, you know, looking at, at uh, the possibility of death since she was four years old, brings people together in extraordinary faith. Little Bella Rodriguez Torres inspired thousands in her six-year fight with cancer. Bella inspired people all over the world. Bella means hope, Bella means love. Bella is the way that we should all live. Bella captured the hearts of many with her unrelenting faith, contagious smile, and the extraordinary courage with which she battled this dreadful disease. Out of difficulties grow miracles, and thanks to a family relying on faith, surrounded by friends, not only the ones present this evening, but those on Twitter, Facebook, and all social media platforms, Bella's story inspired and has united millions around the world. Creating a way of life, encouraging everyone to live like Bella, to appreciate the little things, to treasure the moments with the ones we love, to sing, to laugh, and dance. From streets to bows, to athlete shoes, billboards, parks, and even sectors of our county, recognize the Live Like Bella mission to raise awareness and 
fight for a cure. My goal is to make pediatric cancer a curable and treatable disease. As bold as that statement is, as I sit here today, I promise that we will make that happen. Welcome to Game Changers Live. You can catch us each and every week on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you watch your your podcasts and or listen to them. And this week, we have a very special guest with us because it's Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. And this organization that you're going to hear about today has been leading the way, especially in South Florida, but across the nation in helping drive not only awareness, but research into how to prevent and cure pediatric cancer which touches the lives of so many people, parents out there. They've lived through such an experience that that nobody wants to go through, but that has also led them to have the impact that they've been able to have on the lives of so many children. So my guest today is Raymond Rodriguez-Torres. He's the chairman for Live Like Bella Foundation, father of Bella, and also president and CEO of ALC Home Health, Inc. So welcome, my friend, to Game Changers. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. And so you guys just came off of an amazing, amazing gala. If you haven't seen it on social media, you can check it out there. So many supporters. Give me a little background on you first, uh, your career, your history, your family, and then we'll get into Bella herself and what she went through, and then we'll get into the foundation. So give me a little background on yourself, Ray. Well, I think the best way to describe myself is um, I'm the baby of my family, Um, (laughs) and as such... I am a person that has planned my life many, many years in advance. So for example, I knew for certain year that I would get married and did. I knew for certain the year that I would have children. And I knew without equivocation that the woman that I would fall in love with when married would be Cuban, Catholic, submissive, and a great cook. And that's the first time (laughs) that I learned that God has a sense of humor because the woman that I fell in love with and I'm still very much in love with was an American Jewish woman who doesn't speak Spanish and cannot make a bowl of cereal without instruction. <laughs> and, and yet, my wife Shauna has been an enormous blessing in my life and in the life of many. Uh, I grew up in Miami. I went to undergraduate at the University of Florida, got my master's degree at ORU School of Business in Oklahoma. And I spent uh, over 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, ranging in different levels of responsibility, and I was vice president of two companies. And During all of that time and all the responsibilities involved of running around and doing what we do professionally, I was in 2007, um, received a phone call that changed my life forever. And that was that that morning, our then four-year-old daughter, Bella, began falling to the floor throughout the night. She kept going to this little Cinderella princess table that we had in the kitchen. She was tripping. And by morning, she was completely paralyzed. And oh so God. I've always been a very optimistic person. And I spoke to my wife, Shauna, over the phone, and I told her, honey, I'm sure this is nothing serious. And the next question I asked her was, have you called my dad? And the reason why is because my father is 95 years old. He is my best friend in the world. He is a pediatric cardiologist, and he was the chief medical officer of Nicholas Children's Hospital for the better part of 20 years. Wow. And at that moment, our world started to change very significantly. 
Our four-year-old was immediately taken to Nicholas. She was worked up. And at the end of that very tragic week, uh, we learned the cause of the paralysis to be a very large tumor in her spine with nine cancerous tumors throughout the rest of her body. And her prognosis was that she would never walk again. And she had a few weeks, perhaps a few months to live. And I can assure you that as a parent, there is nothing that can prepare you for words such as those. And while it was an extraordinarily difficult time for our family, we, with extraordinary medicine, the strength and support of a remarkable community, not only here but around the world, and some, certainly some help from the author of life, Bella didn't live a few weeks or a few months. Bella lived and battled valiantly for six years. She regained the ability to walk, run, and jump. And wow. in the process, she started a movement to live like Bella, which for her meant to serve others. And so on the night of her passing in 2013, when she was now 10 years old, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade of the Miami Heat wrote hashtag live like Bella on their shoes during the finals, and it went viral. And incredibly, from there, a series of events began to happen that lead us to where we are today. The week after she passed away, President Obama came to Miami. We had the opportunity to meet with him. And Live Like Bella as a foundation was born. And today, Live Like Bella is an organization that funds research, assists families that have children undergoing treatment, and we also pay for the headstones, burials, and funerals of any child that dies cancer anywhere in the world. Today, Bella, Live Like Bella operates across all 50 states of the United States and in 36 countries around the world. This year, we surpassed $20 million made possible for pediatric cancer research. And while I miss my little girl more than I can ever express in human words, I know that she's more alive than she's been in her entire existence. And I'm very proud of what we've been able to do, although we have much more to do in her memory. You know, as a parent, I, like you said, there there aren't words that can express the the shock when you get news like that. You know, what was going through your mind when the doctor first told you that that news? I mean, were you in disbelief? Certainly, there is a, a great deal of disbelief. You know, I, I happened to be traveling that morning. I was in Orlando, of all places, so I wasn't too far from home. But I was in a, a meeting for a very large pharmaceutical company and. Uh, when I called home that morning to see how the night had gone, when my wife said terrible, that was not an unusual answer. You see, Bella, right. prior to becoming paralyzed and prior to being diagnosed with stage four cancer, uh, had been born with a mental handicap. She had low oxygen at birth, and because of that, she had speech delays. She had physical delays. She was otherwise normally and healthy, but she also mm -hmm. didn't sleep well, and consequently, neither did we. But that wow. morning when I called, I could sense fear and terror in my wife's voice like any other time. And when she told me that she was completely paralyzed, that was certainly a very different scenario than I was accustomed to hearing. And yet, I still had disbelief. And I did everything I could to try to get home as soon as possible, which I did. And when I got to the hospital, I said, this can't be the case. When the nurses weren't looking, I'd squeeze Bella's toes as hard as I could. Move, move. Yeah. And they wouldn't. And from there, actually, throughout the course of the day that led up to her actual diagnosis, uh, Bella's paralysis kept getting worse, um, which is what concerned everybody um, in terms of what was actually going on until we discovered the root cause of it being a massive tumor on her spine. Um, 
there is nothing that can prepare you for something such as that. You know, as parents, there's a phenomenon that the moment they first hold your child, I believe that's the moment where you recognize that you no longer live for yourself. Our, our role as parents is to protect them. Our role as parents is to provide for them. And I will never forget the morning before we actually discovered the cancer that she had in her body. Bella had been originally misdiagnosed. And the reason why is because the moment she arrived at the emergency department, they inserted a very large needle into her spine to do a procedure called a lumbar puncture. And when they went into what they thought was the space in between the discs of her vertebrae, they didn't. They actually went into a massive tumor they didn't know was there. So the fluid, oh that, they, the fluid they extracted gave what's called a false positive for another illness. We didn't know that there was a massive tumor in there. And so the fluid came back as a false positive, and we spent the first four days of her hospitalization treating a disease that she didn't have. But on the fourth day, we took Bella down to the physical therapy gym there at Nicholas Children's Hospital because her neurologist thought it would be a good idea for her to become accustomed to the environment where she would be eventually doing physical therapy. Mm. Uh, and it was believed that anyone that had Guillain-Barre syndrome, like what Bella had, and it was treated as aggressively and as early, would eventually regain the ability to walk. But the moment that we laid Bella down on those big, thick blue mats that you see in the physical therapy gyms, everyone immediately recognized that the paralysis had come much further higher uh, towards her respiratory tract than we had imagined. She had no abdominal muscles whatsoever. And she would drag herself with her arms on those blue mats all the while looking at me, begging me, Daddy, Daddy, help me. Oh and Daddy God. was completely impotent to fix this. And it wasn't until the next morning that, number one, I had to accept that we were going to be going home in a wheelchair. And I called my neighbor, who was a very handy individual, to start making ramps for my house. And I knew that life was going to be very different. But number two, that morning, her neurologist asked, let's do one more, one more MRI of her spine before you leave, just to make sure we haven't missed anything. And that morning I came in and Bella was unconscious going through the MRI because when they're that young, you have to give them anesthesia. Otherwise, they will move in the machine. And I sat next to my father and my wife in those bright colored chairs that you see in the waiting room in the lobby of Nicholas Children's Hospital. And after about three minutes, I was paged over a loudspeaker to go and sign some waivers in radiology, which I had become accustomed to during the course of that very tragic week. And as I got up from my chair and turned the corner that was out of my wife's line of sight, my father was walking with me. And he turned to me and he was crying. And I had never seen my father cry before. And he said, I have something to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you this. She doesn't have Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is what they originally thought. She has cancer. She has an enormous tumor around her spine. My father already knew what the MRI showed. He staged all of that with the receptionist to page me so that he could speak to me in private. And then, of course, is how do we now go and tell my wife this devastating news? And that's how we entered this world. When, when your child is in pain for, for some reason, it tears right through you as a parent like, like nothing else. And I can just imagine what you were feeling when she was trying to, you know, crawl through, you know, uh, on that mat. And then getting that news as well, that's got to be just, you feel like, you know, 
just almost like ending it, right? Because like I can't even imagine going through this or, or telling her, you know, what is going on because that would just be so defeating in, in her mind. The first night that I spent with Bella in the pediatric intensive care unit where we originally were treating Gillian Barre syndrome, um, that unit is all glass. So everything in every room is visible within the unit. And as I stood there all night with my little four-year-old daughter who was paralyzed, um, I actually saw two children pass away that night. Oh, my goodness. Right in front of me. And that was the first time that I looked up and I said, God, why me? What have I done? Yeah. And that question had no response then. As difficult as it is to be a man who held his daughter in her first breath on earth and in her very last, I choose to see Bella's life as an extraordinary gift. Yeah. I choose to believe that she's more alive than she's ever been and that she's with us in all that we're doing to try to help her friends. And the proof of that has been in what's happened, but in addition to that, in what it means to simply live like Bella. So I mentioned that Bella was born with a mental handicap. And in the early goings before any of this, that was extraordinarily challenging for my wife and I because we knew what it was like to go to birthday parties and be made fun of. We knew what it was like to be marginalized. And in so many ways, Bella's life was so seemingly insignificant. It was hard. But what was once such a challenge, which was her developmental delays, later became a hidden enormous blessing because Bella never fully comprehended the severity of her illness. It's funny, right. you know, for us as adults, we'll often hear people say, no, because so-and-so has cancer, right? You almost want to whisper cancer. Bella mm -hmm. would hear that and say, cancer? I have cancer. Like, kind of like saying today's Wednesday. What's the big deal? But in addition to that, because of that mental handicap that she had, Bella never asked me if she was going to die. Bella never asked me why we had to go do the horrendous things that we did have to do as part of her six years of fighting cancer. I saw her cranium open. I saw her spine open. I saw her abdomen open for 18 hours. I saw her paralyzed and I saw her come out of it. Things that are just beyond the realm of what could be comprehended as a parent. And yet despite that, what we learned was extraordinary courage, selflessness, and a desire to help others. Because what bothered Bella was not what she had to go through, it's what her friends had to go through. And one wow. of the most poignant memories that I have was that when she was five, she had a relapse to her brain. And along the way, as you start going towards the operating room, they start a series of checks and balances to make sure that they are avoiding medical errors, especially in an operation of the brain. And so the first station when Bella, they woke her up at around five o'clock in the morning, said, what is your name? She said, my name is Bella. I said, why are you here? And she goes, I have a boo-boo in my brain. They're gonna take it out. Went to the next station. What is your name? My name is Bella. Why are you here? There's a boo-boo in my brain. Then they marked her right ear with a Sharpie on the right side to mark the right hemisphere of the brain. And so forth and so on. And when we got to the two doors in front of the operating room where I could no longer go with her, there was now a large gathering of people around us that were going in. And it was incredibly emotional because in addition to being a caring patient, it happened to be my father's granddaughter, who worked with all of the people there for so many years, and they were all in tears.
that they were about to open her, her skull. And Bella looked around. She looked at me. She said, are they going to hurt me, Daddy? I said, they're not going to hurt you. She looked at everyone and said, let's go. And that was Bella. Fearless, caring for others, and with a sense of joy that's inexplicable. There is a picture that I hope you'll play on the screen now, which is my favorite all-time picture of Bella. When Bella had started to come out of paralysis, which was truly never believed to be possible, the clown unit at Nicholas Children's Hospital made her an honorary clown. And Bella had a walker with wheels, and she, as you see in this picture that's on the screen, she had been dressed up as a clown. And she asked for something very peculiar, and that was that she asked for her scrubs, her clown scrubs, which were made for her, Oh to have goodness. pockets. And the reason why the scrubs had pockets is because if you go to a pediatric cancer center, particularly in the E, that is when a lot of children receive chemotherapy. And so as you walk up and down the hallway, what you normally hear is the horrible sounds of retching and vomiting from the nausea caused by this very toxic medicine. Yeah. The reason why Bella wanted pockets was because she would fill them with lollipops and she would go visit her friends well, after they had had that very unfortunate, undesirable experience of vomiting, she would hand them all lollipops as a clown. So how could he not, with that extraordinary example, do something? Even though we've lived the, the worst human experience possible, which is burying our own child, how could we not, with that example, do something to help other children? And it's in that spirit that Live Like Bella was born, to take on the number one disease killer of children, which is pediatric cancer. And we will not cease until that disease becomes curable and treatable. But in the meantime, I know that she's with us. I know that she's smiling from heaven. And I am so incredibly grateful to all those that have supported us and continue to support us along the way. Her life was truly a blessing in, you know, in disguise, right? Because we, we all face problems in our life that, that are unplanned for. Like you said, you try to plan your life and all of a sudden, you know, things happen that, that take you on a detour, but there's, there's a reason for everything that happens. I, I'm a firm believer in that. And if we believe that it's happening uh, for us, not to us, we, we can choose to perceive it in a way that could then turn a tragedy into something amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think she had that. It, it's interesting that you say that she never really comprehended the the depth and the severity of what was happening right you know the the was never able to really grasp that but in a sense that was that was better because it it made her fearless right we didn't introduce uh this sense of dread and fear that that we have as adults because sometimes we just know too much right yeah. and we stop ourselves and we and we and we hold ourselves back from being everything that we can be uh in 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 society and with our families and, and being present, you know, and, and giving, uh, like you said, she, she wanted to give lollipops. That was, that was her main reason. That was her main uh, driver at that time. It wasn't about herself. And right. so that, that shows some incredible selflessness from someone who shouldn't really understand what that means <laughs> at that age. That's incredible. Yeah. It really was remarkable. Uh, and, and there was so many examples of that. Um, the picture that hopefully you're showing on the screen now yeah. is of 
Bella having her Mediport accessed. And if you have ever known a cancer patient, right, this is a titanium valve that's usually implanted right under their skin in their chest. And this is to deliver chemotherapy, medications, and transfusions. And children in particular have to have this two to three inch needle traverse their skin through their chest to enter this titanium valve multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day. And when the children are very young, like Bella, when she was first diagnosed at four, they're very incredibly fearful and it's painful. And oftentimes, if you're a parent and you're in the room, you have to become an active participant in holding down their legs or their arms because they will, they're crying and screaming. Oh and it God. is double torture for you and yeah. them while the nurse now penetrates their chest with this needle. Oh. Usually and incredibly, these children become used to this. And oftentimes, I will use a little bit of lidocaine with a little bit of saran wrap, and they'll put a glob of lidocaine there, and they'll put them saran wrap, and in 45 minutes, that area of the chest is now numb, and so it hurts a whole lot less. Incredibly, Bella refused to use the lidocaine in six years. And I'm kidding. Nonetheless, um, as you can see in this picture, she's joyfully having this done without any problem. But it is incredibly painful and challenging. And I will never forget, at one point, we were at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City, and Bella was part of a phase one experimental study. And in New York City, the hospital rooms are very tight because obviously all real estate in New York is vertical. And there was a, a curtain, and next to Bella, there was another cancer patient who happened to be a 13-year-old girl, obviously significantly older than Bella at the time, who must have been five or six. And this poor girl was just deathly afraid screaming uncontrollably and unconsolably at the thought of having her port accessed mm -hmm. to the extent who Bella was in the bed next to her felt so badly for her that when I went to the bathroom, when I came out, Bella had gotten out of bed, grabbed her IV pole, went over there and was holding the girl's hand. Oh my goodness. This is a five-year-old consoling a 13-year-old. And she said, it'll be okay. They accessed her port. And so I am a parent that learned a multitude of lessons from my daughter. And I wish and I pray that Bella would have outlived me. Mm -hmm. But the author of Life's Plan was for her to only be here for 10 years. And I choose to believe that those 10 years were an extraordinary gift. And that yeah. my job as her father was simply to care for her to the best of my abilities until she went on to God willing where we'll all be one day. How big of a, a role has faith played in, in your life and, and getting you guys through this and, and, and moving forward? It's been uh, the backbone of everything that we are and all that we do. Um, one of the great lessons I learned because of Bella and as my wife as well is to exchange our optimism and hope, which is good which is positive for faith, which is absolute, it's certain, and it's blind. There's a very mm -hmm. significant difference between one and the other. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the greatest lessons that Bella taught us. Wow. So you guys have done some extraordinary things with, with the foundation. Now you just had a, a tremendous gala. I know it was, it was capped at 500, which is still plenty, but normally it's twice that size. It was an unbelievable event, uh, tremendous support. You know, you've gotten uh, grants and, and funding from the state 
to fund the research. Tell me about what's going on with the foundation today, all the great things that you guys are doing, all the accomplishments that you've been able to get across the finish line, the families you've been able to touch, and then what's the future for you know going forward the next five, 10 years? So as we look back on our eighth year, it's a, a time of reflection and, and great humility and significant accomplishment. This year in particular, we had the tremendous blessing and gift that uh, a landmark institution in Miami, Florida called the Children's Cancer Caring Center, it's been in operations for 55 years, doing incredible work, uh, reached a point where they decided to, in a, in a very humbling fashion, to roll their operations into Live Like Bella. And so we received that great privilege and that great honor to continue the work of the extraordinary Lee Klein, who was the founder of the Children's Cancer Caring Center, and I'm very honored and privileged that they would that entrust that into us. Um, today, Live Like Bella does three primary things. We, we provide what's called in-treatment support. So if a, if a family has a child undergoing cancer treatment, we pay for all of their ancillary expenses, hospital co-pays, pharmacy co-pays, travel, food, groceries, things of wow. that nature. Um, the way that they reach Live Like Bella is through their hospital social worker. Uh, that knows the needs of the family and contacts Live Like Bella, and Live Like Bella pays whatever bills they have directly. Um, right. We have a wonderful partnership with Walmart, for example, where special Live Like Bella cards in the event that we have to send them to the families directly are sent, and these cards provide everything with the exception of alcohol, firearms, and tobacco. And so it's a special program that we have with our partners at Walmart that has been wow. very good. The second thing that we do is we fund research. And... In partnership with the state of Florida, roughly five years ago, something called the Live Like Bella Initiative was started, which to my knowledge does not exist in any other state, and we hope to see it in other states. But this is a program where the state of Florida allocates primarily from its cigarette tax revenue $5 million in perpetuity into a fund called the Live Like Bella Initiative. Now, those funds don't come to Live Like Bella, go directly and are administered by the Department of Health. The Department of Health has assembled something called the Biomedical Research Advisory Council, which is advised of physicians, researchers, oncologists throughout the state of Florida, includes Live Like Bella as well, where we begin receiving all of the grant requests and scientific ideas from pediatric institutions around the state. This has been a game changer on a multitude of levels. Number one, if you're a pediatric cancer researcher, you now have a fund that you can tap into you have to demonstrate scientific merit, of course, but that you have an opportunity to live your dream. If your dream is to do some sort of clinical research in pediatric cancer, it's available for you. And number two, wow. it has also become a talent recruitment tool for the state of Florida, because if, if you are one of these people that's moved by this and you're in Boston or you're in the Midwest or somewhere else, this doesn't exist. It exists only in Florida. So, hey, why not think about taking a job at a yeah. Florida institution Come down here. We have no state income tax, and our weather tends to be better than the Northeast anyways. <laughs> and so, lo and behold, some of the best and brightest minds in cancer research are now moving to Florida by way of the Live Like Bella initiative. And between that and the funding for research that we've given on our own, including the first ever proton beam of South Florida, is actually called the Live Like Bella Pediatric Proton Radiation Program. It's on the campus of the Miami Cancer Institute at Baptist Hospital. We this year surpassed $20 million made possible in research, of which I'm incredibly proud of. And this week, as you know, before the Bella's Ball, we had the first symposium uh, in our existence. Uh, 
And the last thing that Live Like Bella does is that we fund and pay for something very undesirable but very necessary. We pay for the headstones, funerals, and burials of any child that dies of cancer anywhere in the world. And in combination between our in-treatment support and our memorial support, Live Like Bella is present in over 36 countries around the world. That is absolutely incredible. The, the amount of reach and impact that the organization has had on so many lives and so many families, that is unheard of. You know, that, that you, if some child dies in some other country, that an organization out of the U.S. is there to support them in those funeral costs, which can be quite expensive and, and unplanned you know, un unplanned for, right? Because you're not going to be necessarily planning, you know, funeral uh, arrangements for your children ahead of time. And so that makes a huge impact. Listen, I, I, you know, when Bella passed away, number one, we learned it was incredibly expensive. Number two, at that moment, we had to make some decisions that are very profound. We mm -hmm. have another daughter whose name is Reina, which we're incredibly proud of. And she's a big part of Live Like Bella. But at the moment that we had to buy Bella's burial plot, we had to buy one from my wife, Shauna, and myself, but choose to not buy one for Reina because we figure that eventually she will marry and wish to be buried with her own family. Those are incredibly difficult decisions. They're incredibly expensive. And we have some wonderful partners um, in the cemetery and funeral home industry, but there are also some instances around this country which sadly, at that moment when these families are the most vulnerable, Unfortunately, don't don't use the best judgment. Right. Put it lightly. And yeah. I'm grateful that Live Like Bella, although that work is very difficult, can stand as an advocate for that family in that very difficult time, pick up and negotiate those bills. I hate to use this example, but hopefully this makes the point. When Live Like Bella first started out of our garage, when you call Live Like Bella, the phone rings on redundancy and it bounces from one person to another to another until someone answers the phone. And it could be a volunteer that may not even be in Miami. That answers mm -hmm. the phone, live like Bella. And on the weekends, my wife, Shauna, and I used to put ourselves higher in the call queue to give the volunteers some reprieve. And I'll never forget, it was about 3 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon, there was this mother who was just unconsolable on the phone calling from Raleigh, North Carolina, who had a five-year-old child who had battled glioblastoma for eight months. He was treated at Duke University and unfortunately had passed away. The family was informed to come to the cemetery at 3 p.m. on Saturday to come do the unthinkable and bury her son. And when they arrived at the cemetery, they were informed that they had a balance of $1,800 on the account. And if they weren't able to satisfy that at very moment after the entire family has gotten dressed to come there to do this horrible act, we're gonna take the boy's little body back to the city more. You gotta be kidding me. This mother steps into the parking lot without knowing what to do, Google's live like Bella calls, it just so happens the person that answered the phone happened to be my wife, Shauna, on that Saturday. And when Shauna speaks to a mom like this, it's not a volunteer saying, hey, I, I think I know how you feel. She knows exactly no, it's a mom, how you feel. It's a mom. Yeah. And she called the cemetery office and said, listen, what's the balance owed on that account? And she said, $1,800. She said, we're not going to pay you $1,800. We're going to pay you $1,500, but we're going to pay you right now. And you're going to stop torturing that family, and you're going to bury that boy. And they did. And I, and I come to think about pre-Live Like Bella, where would families like that turn? Yeah. And, no and so it's it's for those and so many other reasons that I am so incredibly grateful. You know, my wife, neither my wife nor I work for Live Like Bella. I, I have a day job. Um, I take no payment. We are volunteers. Yes, Live wow. Like Bella has a very capable team that I'm extraordinarily proud of. 
But if not for the support of so many people around the world with giving hearts who call themselves Bella believers and choose to live like Bella, this work wouldn't be possible. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. You guys are an absolute blessing in not only in this community, but around the world, you know, get, giving uh, families comfort when, when they need it most. And so if, if you're out there and listening, you know, make sure you find a way, especially if you're a parent and you have a child, you know what, what that must feel like. Find a way to, to support this organization because obviously they're doing some, some tremendously impactful things. How can people support you in, in, in their, their best way? What, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can learn more, right? On all social media platforms, visit at Live Like Bella. And if you visit livelikebella.org, you can see a lot of this information that I've shared today and also how you can get involved. Um, we've had a, a number of events that have changed because of the pandemic, like, mm -hmm. like all of us. Uh, but God willing, if we can, in February, we have the Live Like Bella Superhero 5K, which is done at Zoo Miami and awesome. normally attended by several thousand people. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of virtual runners as well that join from all over the world, which is very humbling uh, to stand in the fight. And we believe that the true superheroes are children battling cancer. And so there's a multitude of ways that you can get involved. And uh, we're just humbled and grateful for the opportunity to continue to do this work in memory of Bella. Absolutely. Game changers, guys. Raymond, thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. And let's get this message out to as many people as possible because um, you guys are doing some incredible things there in, in honor of your beautiful daughter, Bella. So thank you so much, buddy. Thank you. And my best to everybody watching online today. Take care. If you loved what you heard in today's episode of Game Changers, please subscribe and rate us. The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable. So I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it you may end up being the game changer in their lives.